Welcome in to another episode of Turning the Corner, a Detroit Tigers podcast. I am Kieran Steckley. With me, as always, is a man who is a better gift giver than the Oakland Athletics. He is Cody Savenhagen. How are you doing? I'm doing good, Kieran. That is without a doubt, man. A cheap bottle of wine and that's it? Come on. Come on. Yeah, I mean, much better. it's... It's not so everyone's gonna point out the cheapness of it, and that's obviously thousand percent fair. I'm more focused on the laziness, to be honest. Like it was just lazy. Like like, like by the way, the team's about to move. You could have given him a piece of the scoreboard. You know what I mean? <laughs> Something. Anything. You know? Just you oh, know? Uh, here's a bottle of wine. That's like was... that's. That's like you're going over to like see some girl and you don't really care about her and you're just like ah, I I guess I'll pull in this like liquor store real quick and just grab the first thing I see. It's what the Oakland A's did for the farewell of Miguel Cabrera. Yes, and you know credit to Miguel, he handled it well. Like he's handled everything well. Uh, but it 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 just even the presentation was kind of lame to be honest. Like it's one of those things where. Like, they're not required to do anything. Any of these uh, uh, other teams, right? They're not required to do anything. There's, uh, everything is of good gesture for one of the best players of a generation. With that in mind, I'm pretty sure if the best organizationally we could come... Like, if I was in the Oakland A's organization, front office, or promotions, or any, any position, and someone said, this is what we're going to do, I'd be like, if that's what we're going to do, we might as well do nothing. Because I'm not really sure this move was better than nothing. It just... it. Uh, pe- people pointed out at the start of the year the Tampa Bay Rays didn't really do anything. They had like a video tribute. And I think that's because they were the only ones who actually honored Miguel's wishes, which was to not make a big deal of it. But the video, someone put some time and effort into making that yeah. video. It took longer than getting a cheap bottle of wine. So at, at least they tried. I mean, that's... That's literally a day of act. Like, go get the wine, some get some intern to go buy it, and then just pass it around the clubhouse to get people to sign it. And that's it. Like that that, that was all the effort and thought that went into it. it the, the Oakland A's are a joke of, of an organization, and uh, I'm very sad for the fans who are going to lose their baseball team. But guess what? Your ownership is terrible, and I just I just hope that franchise. Um, gets off to a better start, you know, if and when it, it, it begins its new life in Vegas. Yeah, I mean, everybody, I mean, no matter what, everybody complains about ownership in some capacity, right? But uh, what an example of it could be worse. <laughs> what what an example. What an example of it could be worse. Uh, all right, so we're... Recording this Sunday night, Cody, the Tigers wrapped up a 6-4 and four West Coast road trip. And you know what? Had some guys make some nice plays. Yeah, we're not going to talk a whole lot about what's going on in the field per se right now, but it is nice to see them kind of finish their road trip, or their last road trip of the year, right? Uh, on a nice note, and you know, you're having guys step up in good situations, and uh you know especially even at the Dodgers didn't embarrass yourself against the Dodgers you know like uh, that was that was something nice to see uh but the bigger piece of news is that Scott Harris 
has finally hired a general manager, Scott Harris. It's so weird. The quick aside, the the way the, we do titles now, it's just so strange. So Scott Harris, president of Baseball Ops, right? And when they hire, it's Jeff Greenberg is the new general manager. We'll talk about a little bit about him in a second, but you get like press releases or like instant news stories and it's like it's the first gm since this and Mm -hmm. the whatever gm in franchise history and it's like yeah but he's not the gm that that guy was you know what i mean the one who actually ran things so it's just kind of weird how titles affect things and quick aside it's just all kind of silly and i find it interesting maybe people don't i do uh but jeff greenberg is hired and of course it wouldn't be the Detroit Tigers, who have tied for, and this tie will go on this year, for the longest playoff list streak in baseball. And the first thing that has to happen, or news-wise, is they hired a guy from a hockey team. I know that's not actually what it is, but because that was his most recent job, it has to be like, oh yeah, he was formerly with the Chicago Blackhawks. I'm just saying it's got... (laughs) It's kind of a weird look for the organization. Uh, well, even they, if, these are the takes I get. Like my bosses are like, "Oh, did you see the Tigers hired a GM?" And I was like, "Well, yeah, it's like he's like second in command or the, under the president of baseball operations." Oh, okay. Oh, but he's from the Blackhawks. That's super interesting. Well, like it is, but he's actually a baseball guy. He worked in baseball for more than a decade, so like it is, but it isn't. Oh, okay. And I think to a lot of people out there who just saw the headline or read the first couple lines of a story or the release, like that's probably your takeaway. Um, when in reality, this hire doesn't excite me a ton. I don't know. I I don't know that much about Jeff Greenberg. He's going to be introduced Tuesday at Comerica Park. Looking forward to talking to him, getting to know him based on his background. Worked with Scott Harris for the Cubs for a long time. Had some prior experience at MLB and interned for a couple other teams before that. Smart guy, Columbia Law graduate. I'm sure he's very smart. Uh, I'm sure he is a good hire or whatever. At the same time, it's like, all right, so Scott hired, like, another well-educated white guy that he worked with for a long time. Um, Not surprised. I did expect (laughs) it to be a name that wasn't really out there. It's one reason we never got too deep into, like, discussing candidates. So we could have gone down kind of the list of usual suspects. And I had a feeling, like, no one's Scott Harris. I bet it's a name that we've just never heard or never would have thought of. And sure enough, uh, that was the case because even though he is a baseball guy, I would not have thought of uh, the, the uh, an executive for the Chicago Blackhawks being the guy to get this job. So two immediate thoughts. Number one, now they work together. I don't know if they were like friends or buddies or whether they would like chow down on cake to get the rally going or whatever. But the fact that they had a prior relationship makes me think, all right, well, Scott's living his best life because he's in charge of a front office and he gets to hire a buddy to uh, to, to come in and, and help him out. Not a criticism. I think we've all fantasized about being in charge of something or working together with some of our close friends and trying to do something special. Maybe having a podcast with maybe, close maybe, friends. Maybe like doing a podcast with a guy who's like the best man in your wedding. I don't know. I'm just making things up at this point. Uh, but... It was like okay, so he hired one of his one of his one of his guys, one of his dudes. That's my that's my immediate thought. I don't yeah. I don't think anyone anything's really come out about their relationship other than they used to work together. Maybe we'll find out later this week. 
But that was one of my immediate thoughts. Second thought was this was a hire made with pecking order in mind. So we we talked last week about maybe, you know, maybe give Hein Bloom a look, a guy who was previously in, in charge of a front office. I mean, there's a million guys that have been in charge of a front office who, you know, might take like a number two job as a part of a mentorship thing or whatever to oversee. You see that on, on benches and basketball and coaching staffs and football and even in, in the dugout and baseball. That that would have been like a fine move just in general. This was not that, though. So this was a move made with, like, Scott Harris. I'm number one. There's no one even remotely kind of... Like, he enforced the glass ceiling of sorts in the front office, like, with him being on top, right? And again, not a criticism. I understand. It's, it, it's your show, bro. You do what you think is in the best interest of you and the team, the organization, and duties to your owner or your boss, and all that stuff. I understand all that. And number three, this was another instance of imprint on what the organization is going to value moving forward. So you don't just go from working in baseball to working in hockey because you're an expert eye for talent on both sports equally. That's not how it works. This guy is clearly an analytically driven individual, and I guess we'll learn more a little bit next week, but this seems to be a move to more than just have another scouter's eye in the front office. This is a move to shape the organization's ethos when it comes to evaluating players and prospects and trades and all that stuff, as opposed to you know, the tools way of looking at ball players. So those were my initial thoughts on this hire. And, you know, I, I, I appreciate all of them in their own way. This was Scott Harris, I think, further putting his stamp on what this organization is going to be about moving forward. Yeah, I think the thing I'm most interested to find out Tuesday, like how much is this guy an analyst at heart? How much is this guy a scout at heart? Like what is really his calling card as a baseball executive? Um, I think the easy thing when people were discussing, oh, who might Scott hire as the GM was to look at like scouting and pro scouting because Scott, um, not a straight analyst, not a straight up scout. Like it seems like he's dabbled in a little bit of everything, but that he overhauled amateur scouting, um, a couple years prior, the Tigers overhauled player development. One thing that was pretty untouched was pro scouting. So I was like, eh, it would make a lot of sense if they targeted a guy who had uh, vast experience in pro scouting. Well, our friend Greenberg, he ran pro scouting for the Cubs for a little bit. So he does check that box. At the same time, his MO, from what I've gathered so far, seems to be more as an analyst. My understanding of why he had this brief foray into hockey, well, the Blackhawks knew that baseball analytics were well ahead of hockey analytics, they wanted to hire a dude who had built up the analytics department for a baseball organization that ended up being uh, Jeff Greenberg. And, you know, he was kind of a hockey fan. He played like club hockey in college. So he had at least like a, a baseline familiarity. But I don't think he was making like on ice decisions or anything of that nature. Um, so that's where I'll be curious to find out. Is this guy going to have his thumb on pro scouting for the Tigers? 
Is he going to have his thumb on analytics for the Tigers, or is he just a, another guy who's going to do a little bit of an everything? Does this hire signify more turnover in pro scouting or in analytics? Um, you know, these are the things I'm really going to want to gauge, and that are a little bit unanswered right now. Again, different because it was the number two hire, but I remember the day Scott Harris was hired, man. I had people across the game, agents, scouts, like, uh, hitting me up, you know, unsolicited, just letting me know what they thought. Like, oh, a great hire. Like, Scott's really sharp. And I haven't really, I haven't really learned a lot independently about Jeff Greenberg so far. Um, so I think we will still have some learning and some feeling out to do, as well as just like, okay, how are you and Scott going to divvy up work responsibilities? I'm sure at the press conference we'll probably get some, like, cliche answer about everything is collaborative. And, and, and like, there is a degree of truth to that. Um, but it might take us some time to actually figure out how Jeff Greenberg is going to leave his imprint on this organization under the direction of Scott. Yeah, and how it fits with Rob Metzler is right. is, is going to be interesting. And, you know, this hire is, what, half a week old. We're going to hear from him here in a couple of days. So all we can do is just, I, I in my opinion, because it's not like any of us really know the guy or know his track record really, you know. But I think all we can kind of do is analyze the theory beyond the hire. And so I talked about you could bring in a, you know, a seasoned scout and have him, you know, have him take that role. Uh, didn't go that direction. So like most things with Scott Harris, this is not, you know, Scott Harris, friend of the podcast. But I'm not in the business of just like agreeing with him on everything, right? I feel like we've been pretty fair with Scott, you know, throughout throughout his tenure with the Tigers. But I, I, I will say that I do find myself more often than not agreeing with the theories of his actions. Yeah. yeah Some I agree with whether that, it's sure. moves, non moves, like I I agree with the theories beyond that that go into what he's done with the Tigers. Now we you know, not all the time. The Jamer Candelario thing was one I think we were on pretty early. Is like, was there really a reason to, you know what I mean? But I understand and appreciate what he's trying to do here. This is a complete shift. I mean, you just got to go back like a couple years. Even like Dombrowski, man. Like, who was, who were the guys in his ear? His ear, I should say. Not the kind of guys that are running the Tigers now. Like, it, it's a complete shift in philosophy and sort of like organizational process to go about things and when you haven't had that much success recently i'm breaking any news here i appreciate going in a different direction like i i think the theory of this move makes a lot of sense without knowing literally anything about them i also like hiring somebody even even the blackhawks thing is a little unorthodox like i could have just on an individual level, I can appreciate Greenberg. No, well, what the hell? Let me try this out. You know what I mean? Like, like, like I think it's kind of. Yeah, I kind of like that. Yeah. Like you know, like you know, back when I was, uh, back when I was still a journalist, a writer, I was a sports writer, and then an opportunity came up for me to cover local politics, and I was just like, oh, what the hell? Let's let's try it out. Let's expand my horizons a little bit i imagine that was partially you know what greenberg was thinking when he made that move and of course he didn't even have to move he just had to 
change offices. So it, it was a little bit of an easier decision there too. So again, the, the bottom line to come back to is I appreciate the theory beyond, behind doing this for Scott Harris. And, and I think that is also an indication from ownership that they're letting him do his thing. Because if, if you had a, maybe meddling is too strong a word, but if you had an owner that had his or her hands in every move, this would probably be a little bit of a harder sell. So say what you want about Chris. This also seems to be, to me, to be an indication of you hired Scott to do his thing, and a year later, you're still letting him do his thing. So overall, those are things I consider positives, you know, even star, without anything behind it. The star of today's it. podcast is Chris Illich, because he's not John Fisher, and he's not Jerry <laughs> Reinsdorf. So, like, you know, he's... I, that's kind of what I've always said about Chris. Like, I, I don't know if he's the best owner, but go compare him to some other owners, and suddenly you're like, ah, you know, he's he's fine. <laughs> yeah, you know, a couple of weeks ago, this is so random. A couple of weeks ago, there was a clip of the on-field celebration in 2005 when the White Sox won the World Series, and I think like the local news. I maybe it was. I think it was the local news. I don't think it was the national Fox brought. Yeah, it was the local news. Ask Jerry like some thoughts on like the season or whatever the moment and and he very quickly made mention make sure to buy your season tickets to the Bulls. So, <laughs> Love it. And uh, a right there. and and I can't say that in the last dance he comes across as all that great and then uh, well, the last dance is like a terrible one sided production so I don't. Oh, that is very true. We don't have. Maybe one day we'll do like a problem with documentaries in today's day and age. That'd be a great off-season topic. Yeah, Yeah, I think we might have to do that. I I couldn't finish. Here's the tease. I couldn't finish the Derek Jeter one. Oh, that was. I could. Disgraceful. Couldn't do it. Uh, but yeah. Anyway, it seems like the Tigers are at least moving in a unified direction, which I think. Uh, I think is important, and also I think speaks to. Like they're not related. But I'm connecting them, like taking Max Clark over Wyatt Langford. I'm not saying it was the right move, but to me, it kind of correlates with taking like a longer view of really reshaping this organization. I think this is another step in that direction. I, I think, yeah, that's why I said like I had a feeling Scott would do something a little bit out of the box in terms of player acquisition this off season. Whatever he does, I think it's going to be a little bit out of the box. It's not going to be. Who's the best free agent on the list? Oh, Matt Chapman, let's go sign him. You know, that's that's not how things operate under the Scott Harris regime, and that's not how they're going to operate. So again, if there's one takeaway from this first year, it's that, like, things are always a little bit different. It's sometimes a little bit hard from the outside to gauge exactly what that move is going to be. This is absolutely another example of that. And not a bad th- I don't. I don't think that's a bad thing at all. Um, I, I like your point. Like, I think we've criticize scott in some instances i think we've also really tried to give credit where credit is due and my main takeaway is or my main point of view overall has been like eh, you know there have been some victories this year we talked about that last week it's going to take a full off season or two to really understand what kind of baseball executive scott harris is if you want to look at it from a glass half full point of view i can see the theory or the thinking behind almost every move he has made I don't always agree with it and it hasn't always worked out, 
but you can at least appreciate that there's some thought going into this. And that's different than it was in the Avila era where, quite frankly, things were often panned for just being dumb. Scott Harrison isn't always right, but he's not dumb. Yeah, for sure. So, the other piece of news this week. I gotta be honest, Cody. Uh, maybe I'm upset with you about this. I don't know. But I, it, there's been too many instances where I have not been tipped off that a Detroit Tigers player is getting surgery in my backyard and I have not been able to go to the hospital to try to get instant analysis, maybe uh, maybe a soundbite for the podcast. Riley Green had his Tommy John surgery in Dallas, and that was the big news. We kind of talked about, the really, the last couple of weeks about how, yeah, one good indications, and, and, and he ended up getting the Tommy John. Uh, I will say, Cody, this, this happened before the injury, so it's not like a jinx situation. But you were kind of Freddy foreshadowing with doing a uh, Tommy John story, position players getting it, uh, talking to guys on the Tigers who had experienced it, and then we speculate. You know, we, we even talked. I was like, oh, let's talk about Bryce Harper. You know, it's his non-throwing arm and blah, blah, blah. Like, or it was his throwing arm or whatever. So it's like... We're a little. The listeners are a little more well versed than normal. I kind of know a lot about this, and it's because I was writing about Shohei Otani <laughs> with no idea that would uh, become applicable to the Tigers. Be like two weeks later. Yeah. So, I guess what's the bottom line with Riley Green uh, getting the Tommy John? Now, again, it's the right elbow. It's his non-throwing arm. Yeah. It is his lead arm in hitting. So we get, we, we, you know, I always have to kind of say that like verbatim because we kind of get confused about hitting arm, throwing arm, you know, blah, 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 especially when, it, again, it's a Tommy John surgery, not related to throwing at all. Uh, so what's the bottom line here right now for Riley Green uh, with the Tommy John? The bottom line, look, Tommy John surgery, never good, never something you want to hear as a baseball player. At the same time, not as bad as it sounds in the case of Riley Green, given where we're at in the calendar, he's... He's missed some games this year, but in theory, he's not going to miss games next year. He should be ready to play opening day. Uh, That's about 190 days out from the date of his surgery. The average player begins swinging about 150 days post-op, but Bryce Harper was in major league games 160 days post-op. So it's very reasonable to believe that Riley Green will indeed be ready for opening day, should be able to be taking swings in some capacity for most of spring training. Um... It is his non-throwing arm, so this is not going to affect him in the field. So overall, like, it's bad, but hey, like, you can feel pretty good. This isn't something that's going to cost him a major chunk of next season or anything like that. The one question, like, will it affect him at the plate at all? You talk to hitters who have had it, generally the answer is no, especially because it's his his lead arm rather than that... Um, rather than that, you know, trail arm that's going to have more pressure in a swing. You can also look at Harper, and it was Harper's lead arm. Harper didn't hit for power um, until the end of July this year, which is interesting. Hard to know if that's related to the surgery, to maybe his elbow being a little weak. Uh, There's not a ton of studies on actual player performance, but I think there are enough. I mean, Salvador Perez had Tommy John surgery. He had like the best year of his career after Tommy John surgery. So 
it's by far not fair to say that it's going to impact him at the plate. I think that's something to keep an eye on. Uh, but if there's any takeaway, like it's the second sentence of that, of kind of that news release of like, Riley Green had Tommy John surgery. He's also expected to be ready for opening day. Riley Green's going to be playing opening day and you're a Tigers fan. Given the situation, I think you feel pretty good about things. So there's two kind of things that I want to follow. One of which will just be like a recurring thing throughout next season. And that's how will this affect him mentally in the field? Because obviously, again, like it's a mental thing if it was your throwing arm. For sure. No doubt. But he got it doing Riley Green things. Yeah. You know, going all out on, on a catch in the outfield. So how does that affect him mentally, I guess, would be something I'll be curious to follow. And then, given that it's his non-throwing, like, how does that affect his, you know, fielding training in the offseason? Like, I, like a, that, that's not a nothing thing to me, to be honest. Is a guy that I believe has plus defense. I don't think that's a uh, hot take. I think he's a plus defender. And you're kind of figuring out where he's going to fit. In the f- so basically he just needs reps to figure out which corner you probably want to put him in. You can still have him in center, obviously. Uh, but how is that going to affect his ability to train in the offseason just, you know, as a fielder, because at 22, 23 years old next year, like he's not done improving in that area. So, uh, even it's though like, he could yeah, probably likely going to a corner full time, it'd be nice to be able to get a lot of reps, you know, over the off season. Uh, he does have to immobilize the arm and build back strength. So even though it's his non-throwing arm, I'm sure that will to some degree cut into yeah. the amount. You can't of just like long that. toss when you're immobilized on the other side. Yeah. yeah. So, again, like, that's, like, he's going to have to, depending on which corner, he's going to have to start reading balls differently. You know, these these are all things that, even though this is, if if Tommy John's the headline, this is the best case scenario for Tommy John, I I, kind of feel like. That's that's kind of the way to put it, yeah. But it's still not a nothing burger. It's still a thing, and it's going to, play out and affect him going into next season a season that like if he just had like a regular injury that he could just rehab be good in six weeks uh like i'd be i'd be like shouting from the mountaintops for this guy to be like you know all-star watch you know like best young player get as i said i don't know like six weeks ago like he needs to be one of the players in the mlb the show like simulated gameplay you know what i mean i think he's reached that level uh, and, and this is something that could, it's an added hurdle. Will it inhibit it, like, greatly? I don't know. But it's definitely an added hurdle. So, uh, you know, it's the best case scenario news-wise. It, it was, we didn't even talk about this because it ended up, you know, Tommy John was the main thing. But, you know, having to go under the knife and not exactly know what you're going to do, which is kind of what we were, you know, told be, to, to begin with, not that great of news, but it seems like everything is kind of as good as it could be post-op. So that's at least a positive moving forward. Riley Green golfs right-handed, so 
his golf game might be in trouble. You know, that's maybe that's the real the real thing to keep an eye on here. That's a that's a real detriment when you live in Florida. Let me tell you. It is. I, it, hey, you want to talk about the? I, I say I say this in jest, but you want to talk about the mental side of things. Uh, Riley Green likes to golf and to fish, and he's not going to be able to do some of that for a little bit. So I hope he's able to, you know, stay positive and and uh, just stay in good spirits this offseason. Next year's a big year for him. As I said, like, this guy has a chance to get paid. This guy has a chance to get a long-term contract extension if he can just stay healthy. Um, and through the injuries, like, you, you know, it is fair to consider. We don't really talk about the mental side of that for athletes a lot. Uh, this guy's missed a lot of time. He doesn't like being hurt. Because of the nature of this injury, he's probably not going to be able to do some of his favorite hobbies this offseason. So, uh, you know, wish Riley the best. Yeah, mentally he's got himself a uh, an interesting winter, I guess is what I'll say. Huh. Okay, so given that there's still... We, we talked about kind of what we expect to happen, and, you know, you did the research, you wrote the story, stories, I should say, uh, about what to kind of expect for a position player coming off Tommy John, all these things that we just talked about. But I still think there's enough up in the air that we can kind of say, like, all right, well, who's this going to, like, affect? Like, who is, who is this going to have an impact on whether they... You know, where they play, how often they play, uh, do they make the roster? Like, there's going to be some trickles from this, I feel like. And I'm pretty sure everything that we say here on Sunday, September 24th, come February 24th and March 24th will seem silly. But in the moment, I think it will be thoughtful discourse. So Parker Meadows comes to mind immediately for me. As a guy who is, obviously, he's up in the bigs right now. He is the center fielder. He is getting, I would say, valuable at-bats at the major league level here as we close the season. And he's a guy that, you know, opening day, starting lineup, very much in the cards. So, like... He's got himself a pretty important offseason and spring training, I would say. And the fact that Riley is, again, a little bit up in the air, I think plays into it. Kerry Carpenter. Everybody needs to remember, and we're coming into this with the, uh, the last week of Miggy, right? There's a DH spot open. Full time. Kerry Carpenter very much fits... The profile of someone who ought to be getting at bats on a regular basis and doesn't have a how I say fielding profile of note he's a guy that could be the DH more times than not next season however if Riley Green is behind uh, in his like you know fielding acumen I would say but he can hit. Who's getting the DH spot? Riley Green is. And then if Carey's in the field, then it creates all these other kind of ripples or whatever. So I think that's of note. I think even Spencer Torkelson, I think this plays into a little bit. Because I talked about this when Riley first got hurt this season. And at that time, Torque was struggling, especially compared to how he's closed the season. 
But my main point was that if Riley Green's out of the lineup or not there every day, that affects where you can put Torque in there. And I feel like, again, if there's... Even if, even if Riley's, like, a week behind in rehab or being able to play, you know, whatever, like, it's in play, it's going to affect where you slot Torque in the lineup and, and the amount of pressure that is kind of put on him to produce offensively out of the gate and all that stuff. So I think that's relevant. Here's, here, I think if it... Oh, go ahead. I was going to say, the wrinkle, though, is a guy like Jahan. Is a guy that could be getting a decent amount of DH spots next year. Absolutely. And if Riley, again, if Riley is not up to his fielding prowess because of just lack of time training and all that stuff, you don't want to throw him in there. Maybe it's just days that you're going to take it slow with, you just take it slow with him at the beginning of the year to put him in the field because that's where, you know, he got this injury. That's where he's probably more, I would say that's where he's more prone to get injured than obviously hitting, even though he did have last season the the uh, the ball off his foot. Jay Hens at bats, even time on the roster, could be affected by this. So those are just some guys I jotted down. I'm sure I missed some, but yeah. those are the ones that first came to mind. The way I see it, there's really no reason Riley Green should spend much time, if any, at designated hitter. Because you got other guys, Carpenter... Malloy, maybe even Torkelson, maybe Cole Keith next year. Got a lot of guys who make sense to play some DH. I would take a rusty Riley Green in left field over Kerry Carpenter or Justin Henry Malloy uh, 10 times out of 10. Now, I think if it affects anyone, I mean, I, I think just the fact he got hurt again, an injury that required surgery, I think it puts more pressure on Parker Meadows. Because here's the thing, we're all kind of sitting here just assuming, oh, Parker Meadows is your center fielder, Parker Meadows is going to hit. Oh, we saw Parker go through a real rough stretch at the major leagues. Looked a little bit better the past five days or so. He's hitting 212. He's got 325 on base. Does a lot, a lot of little things well. If he continues to field well and do the little things well, you can live with those numbers as, as the bare minimum. And he certainly has potential to be a better hitter. But there's still a little, there's a lot of swing and miss. There's still risk that, what if his bat just doesn't quite play? And here's the thing. I think we've learned you really don't want Riley Green in center field long term. Worried enough keeping him healthy as it is. If a corner is a little less impact on his body, you will take it. You need Parker Meadows to A, be your opening day center fielder, and B, probably be your center fielder for years to come. Uh, because if he's not, that's that responsibility is probably falling upon Riley Green, and that is just not seeming feasible given, I think, an overarching goal for the future of the franchise is to keep Riley Green healthy at all costs. You might argue, well, does that mean you should play him some at DH? And I would say, well, maybe if you didn't have, like, three to four other guys who really can't field worth a lick. Um, so I'm going to put Riley in the field. I'm going to tell him to play hard, go out there, be yourself. We'll hope that maybe playing left or right versus center saves you a little bit of wear and tear on your body in the long run. So, a thought just popped into my mind. What if Parker sucks in spring training and sucks three weeks into uh, the season? It's possible. I like Parker Meadows as a ball player, but like it's on the board. we're acting like that's not possible, and that is possible. It is very much on the board. That 
could have a pretty decent trickle effect. Now we're anticipating. We don't know what the offseason moves will be and and all that stuff. We I don't I want to speak for you, Cody, but I'm not really anticipating anything groundbreaking. And so like that's a that's something that the ramifications could be. I don't want to say severe, but there will be a lot of follow ups with the moves. How much that- you paying Cody Bellinger? How much you giving me? <laughs> Like, I'm not paying that guy anything. Yeah. Right? I'm glad he's had a great year, but I'm not signing Cody Bellinger. Uh, the, the track record of big contracts recently in baseball in general is you know not great, with obviously some notable exceptions, but uh, not great. So, like, it, there's as I, as I come to think about it, there's a decent amount of reliance on Parker Meadows in the short term, which is kind of... It's a little scary. It's a little scary. As much as we want to believe him and like him and all that stuff, like it's a little scary because if it's like bad, you're gonna not. There's not a lot of great options. It's not. There's no Parker Meadows right now behind him. It's like oh whatever, give him a chance. You know what I mean? So I think something to keep an eye on. And if you're one of those people that really likes spring training stats, even though we, as Mayton has shown us. And Willie Castro before him. It doesn't necessarily mean that much, but it might make you feel a little bit better going into the season. So just there's there's a little weight on Parker Meadows, even though he's a pretty skinny guy. A little weight on him uh, for uh, for the team this year. It just 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 putting it out there. Just putting it out there. Uh, and I think this is actually a great transition, Cody, because you did a mailbag this week. And I'm going to ask you a question that I always ask you after you do a mailbag because mailbags, especially where the athletic, I believe, and educated uh, readership and fan base, and I'd like to think our listeners are as well. What, what's the vibe of the fan base right now as we as we close out the season? You know, with a, a Tigers team that had some good moments, had some. <sighs> moments and, and and kind of went through it i would say this year in several capacities not the least of which was riley green's injuries this year but what's the what what, what what's the vibe of the fan base right now yeah pretty positive i think a lot of people are have liked some of the developments that have shown late in the season torkelson carrie carpenter stuff like that i think people are feeling like maybe we're, you're finally seeing a young core develop and I don't think that notion is wrong. I think Tigers fans, like we talked about last week, there are a lot of positive takeaways from this year. I do think it's important or just realistic to temper things a little bit because as I pointed out in this mailbag, like you just have a long way to go. I don't want to get too deep into the numbers, but a, a pennant winning team, you know, you can look at it. You're generally having somewhere in the ballpark of 40 wins above replacement from your roster. This year's Tigers are at about 20 wins above replacement. So let's say you get up Keith, you get up Malloy, and they can rake. And Riley Green is healthy all next year, and Torkelson is good all next year. And How many wins above replacement is that really getting you? I don't know. Say Meadows is worth two to three. Let's say Riley Green has a great year and he's a four-war player. And let's say Spencer Torkelson is three-war. And then, you know, Keith and Moy. It's like, all right, well, maybe like eight, maybe like ten. You're still not a World Series club. You're still not a pennant-winning club. The Tigers' saving grace is that they are in a putrid, putrid division. 
And I think with a couple things go well, your young players go play well and you stay healthy, there's no reason they couldn't make a run at winning this very bad division next year. At the same time, like I think I have a hard time seeing it as like they are serious, serious contenders anytime soon. Yeah, and we kind of talked about it a little bit last week about what that anytime soon kind of means, and it's like things will have to manifest that we can't anticipate or uh, like just can't happen for another year or whatever. And you know, listen to last week's episode. I think we kind of laid it out a little bit, especially when we talk about Scott Harris. Uh, I guarantee you. Speaking of Harris, a lot of Harris on this spot. I guarantee you that that 40-win number, whether he is strictly using that or somewhat using that, whatever the equivalent of front office evaluations is for that that we can talk about, he's looking at it that way. And I think that's kind of key here. Like, you look at the moves that he's made, he's looking at it that way. Like, this team is not close to where you can just kind of bank them being a perennial postseason team. Yeah, like, he's right. He's not wrong in any capacity. And as it as it pertains to next season, I have a fun little game. I have a fun little game here. I, I just kind of pull the number out of my hat. And everyone wants to talk about the infield, Cody. Five and four. Third base, second base. It's kind of out there now. First, let's pat ourselves on the back for a second. It's kind of out there now that Colt Keith might not be a third baseman strictly, I think is uh, is a good way to put it. You had floated that out there a couple weeks ago. Uh, you don't just float things out there for no reason, Cody. Like You are an informed person. I'm sure everybody knows that. And now it's a little bit more public knowledge, I would say, just on the uh, the buzz of the team. The reverse of that is that you have a former first-round pick, a recent first-round pick, who was a second baseman or was drafted as a second baseman. And now we're getting some win that Jace Young, who had, deserves a ton of credit for how he's performed this year, uh, rising through the minor leagues. He's going to be getting some looks at third base. So I guess before I kind of get into my little gimmick, I guess your thoughts on this, we can talk about with a little bit more authority that the aspect that the organization potentially, I will say potentially, looks at Colt Keith, maybe a second baseman, and Jace Young, perhaps a third baseman, literally switching what they've been the entirety that we've been talking about them, just like a trade of positions. Yeah, so Jace Young's going to the Arizona Fall League, and he's going to play a lot of third base in the Arizona Fall League. And that is, I think I think these two guys have flip-flopped. I think for a lot of the year, we looked at like, okay, Keith is a third baseman who can also play some second. And like, Young, uh, he's a second baseman. Like, you'll be happy if he's average at best. And through some time and some evaluations, the Tigers have come to a different conclusion. Uh, I think they, they like Keith somewhat at second. I don't, I'm not sold on his range there. Um, and I'm not sold on Jace Young's arm at third base, but they think that Young looks better at third base. And so that's why we're doing this. 
Now, Jace Young played a little third his freshman year at Texas Tech, ended up moving to second. I was always under the impression that they didn't think his arm could play a third. Um, but I've inquired about that, and the Tigers seem to think his arm plays fine. And see, In fact, they seem to think it plays better than Colt Keith's at third base. I do think, remember how A.J. Hinch manages this, manages this roster. Remember how Scott Harris constructs a roster. These guys will probably play both third and second to some degree each in the major leagues. But it is a really interesting and really significant shift. One that I think probably makes it most likely that Colt Keith could be your opening day second baseman, but one that also leaves your opening day third baseman a little bit wide open if it's not Matt Veerling. I, I don't think Jace Young is going to start next year in the majors. No. Uh, so that leads us into our next topic. How many people are going to play third base next year? Yes, yeah, so I, 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 like I said earlier, I pulled a number out of my hat, and I, I and I said, you know, like I don't actually gamble because I want to do it the same way that the great residents of Michigan are able to do it, and I can't do that here in Texas. So, uh, <laughs> but I was in Kansas last weekend, and I did partake a few, uh, a few, a few wagers here or there, not on baseball, mind you, just 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 football. Keep it keep it profesh here uh, here at Turning the Corner. But anyway. I like half numbers when I'm doing over-unders. So, over-under, five and a half third basemen starting for the Tigers next year. So, just for the purpose of this exercise, I'll just list off some possibilities. And this is in, obviously, no order. Cole Keith, Jace Young, Matt Beerling, Nick Maton. <laughs> I kind of cheated here, and I just kind of made, like, the utility line. And I know, like, not guaranteed to be on the team or whatever, but... McKinstry, Zach Short, Andy Abanez, or equivalent, and Jayhen. That's, I'll say, six positions, but like nine names uh, right there. Five and a half starting third baseman for the Tigers next year. I feel like given it's going to be a young team, given that it's going to be a team that's not going to spend in free agency and the way AJ Hinch manages a roster and by the way the way Scott Harris kind of looks at the 40 man and the 26 man and all that stuff I'm taking the over Cody I think I, I think I'm taking the over because I it it just feels like the perfect storm of guys that either you need to play there, you need to see them play there, or they can play there. And I think I'm taking the over on that one. Yeah, when you first posed this question to me off the air just a second ago, I was like, I mean, probably under. It's it's going to be more than three, but like six guys, that seems like a lot. And then I started thinking about it. Tigers have started nine, I repeat, nine players at third base this year. Nick Maton, Zach McKinstry, Matt Vierling, Jonathan Scope, Zach Schwartz, Andy Abanias, Tyler Nevin, Andre Lipschitz, Ryan Kreitler. Next year, I think bare minimum, you're looking at Matt Vierling, Justin Henry Malloy, Colt Keith. Given especially this recent news, you want Jace Young in the majors. So let's make that four. Uh, there's a good chance Zach McKinstry is still going to be hanging around. I wouldn't be shocked if Nick Maton is hanging around. I, I'm not sure about Andy Ibanez. Maybe. Andre Lipschitz? Let's not write him off. 
Kryler just had Kreidler a grand slam. has been suddenly forgot about. Uh, and so we're already we're already over five there, you know, and that's not including whoever else outside Scott Harris might bring in this next offseason. Um, I think in an ideal world, the Tigers find a little bit of stability, and hopefully by the end of the year, it's a lot of it's a lot of Jace Young there if that's what they deem deem right. But I think especially early in the year, man, gonna see a lot of different faces playing third base. So after thinking about it, it's hard not to take the over. Maybe maybe the the more puzzling over under is. And I'm literally making this up live at, 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 as we're recording. Three and a half men that will start at third base and second base at some point in the season next year. <laughs> that's all right. That's a tough one. Keith, so McKin- Young, McKinstry, whatever other utility player Scott Harris falls in love with this offseason. <laughs> like, there's four. I mean, it, 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 there's going to be a lot of pieces used. Uh, guys are going to have to learn how to play multiple positions because obviously, you know, like the profile of a typical third baseman and the profile of a typical second baseman are different, which is why, you know, it's kind of funny to see so, these guys move. After watching this year unfold, how do you feel about that as a general philosophy now? Better or worse than you did at the start of the year? Better, the way I look at it is like, you can only do, especially from AJ's perspective, because he's not in the front office. You can only do so much with what you're given, right? And in a way, it's similar to you writing a story. You can only do so much with what you're given. And until some studs come along or establish themselves, like I feel better about the ability to do it, but I don't feel better about this being like the long-term solution to like getting those 40 wars you know what I mean? Yeah. So that yeah. that's kind of how it, it's fine for now. It's cool for now. Yeah. No, it, it's not a long term thing. They've sort of made it work. You know, the late game options, the pinch hitting, the substitutions. You can do that more easily when you have guys who can play different positions. Uh, the goal is to be in a position where you're not doing this all the time. All right. The Houston Astros aren't rotating Alex Bregman and Jose Altuve mm-hmm. at different positions. Like they got their guys and they're sticking with it, and that's how most great teams are built. Um, it's naive to think the Tigers are going to jump there right away, but this is our reality. It's kind of a you-got-to-do-what-you-got-to-do thing. Uh, yeah. And it, again, it, it's created some fun moments, content for us. Like I, I'm not saying it's a bad thing, but it's not the ideal thing when you're trying to get to where you know everybody wants to get to. So that's sort of my, uh, my thought process on it. But you know, every now and then, you know, you mentioned scope there earlier, just a second ago. Every now and then, I'm like, oh yeah, scope. I know. Like, <laughs> it feels like forever ago. It was like wow. forever ago. Not you know, not not talked about all that. Didn't sign with anybody. Didn't uh, catch on. I'm a little surprised actually. So uh, you know, goes to show you like the next year's makeup is going to be so different. No scope, and obviously no Cabrera, and you know, so many other moves. Maybe no. Eduardo Rodriguez, who just had, like, the ultimate Eduardo Rodriguez week, by the way, Cody. Just, like, the ultimate. Leaves the start with, like, an obscure injury. 
then makes his next start and comes right back. Does, doesn't allow a run. And <laughs> like classic Eduardo. Like, uh, like you know what? I'll say this. Like, I, I don't know if I have a prediction about whether he'll stay with the Tigers this offseason or not. Now, stay with it. I'm not talking about the opt out and you know whatever. Whether he'll stay with the Tigers or not. But you know what? I think I'm going to look back. If he leaves and goes to another team, I'm going to look back and be like, man, this guy. And I'll have like a big grit on my face just because, you know, like, it's not like he went through some stuff personally and, 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 I, and, and we were empathetic to that. But he was fun. He's, he's fun to watch pitch. And it's like this guy, like he was out there all the time. He had this, he had weird injuries and he comes back and it's like this guy, you know, classic Eduardo. It's, yeah, it, it, right. Just, it's, it's just always kind of strange. It's been a strange athlete to cover. It's a pretty good pitcher. I don't think we're done with the strangeness of this saga just yet. Um, I don't know. I just still think, like, I'm always looking at from the perspective of the agent. And if I'm his agent, I'm saying, dude, you got to opt out. And if he opts out, I just don't see him coming back to Detroit. But it's Eduardo Rodriguez. Who knows? Yeah, I mean, there's... Definitely an argument to be made that if it fits his lifestyle, like maybe the Tigers are the best option and the money's relatively the same. Like I don't know. Like not everybody looks at. I think I think people... Eduardo's a different cat. Looks at things a little differently than some. I think might. also people would be surprised, just generally speaking, about how often athletes. And I don't even make this like a, a negative. Like they're not looking at it the same way you and I are. Like that, that's just, that's just a thing. Like some, depending on the sport, sports a little bit different, but you know, if you're a lot of times you just tell your agent, where's the most lucrative offer? I'll go there. You know, that happens all the time. And, and then you, it's mm-hmm. like, Oh, we'll figure it out. Anything can happen. You're an athlete. You feel like you can be, you can always like help a team win and all that stuff. So it'll be very interesting to see how this, uh, how this unfolds. And of course that was a, that was that was one of the questions in the mailbag, which you can read if you're an athletic subscriber. Another one, you know, speaking of optimism, uh, people are trying to go back to like the late '70s, young, young, young prospects uh, to lead up to 1984 World Series. Which, which, by the way, just a side note before we get to the fact, like, let's not put that burden on these guys. Uh, all these draft picks, you go look at the rosters of like the late 70s Tigers. Just go look at them, and you're going to see a lot of the names that you associate with champions on those teams. I'll just pick a year. Just go look at the 1979 team. And then go look at the 1984 team. There's going to be a lot of crossover there. And then realize they're five years apart. You know? Like, if there's ever an example of this stuff don't happen overnight, like... There's an example. We glorify those players, Sparky Anderson, like justifiably so. But there was, it took them a long time to get to that point. Is really all my point is that like you think you think 77, 78, and 85 are so far apart, but those guys were all a part of it. And now you want Scott Harris to build a championship team in in, in one one and a half winters. You know what I mean? Like it's like, like so, sometimes a little historical perspective is helpful. That's all I'm saying. And unfortunately, I had to be the bearer of bad news again. It's like, yeah, oh, I no, I do think the Tigers are doing some positive things. I also think comparing it to 1984 is like, 
asinine because I've heard every team, every core compared to, you know, the 78, 79 uh, core since I've started covering the Tigers, and I'm sure that's been going on since long before I was around. The reality is the 1984 Tigers, they had two MVPs, Willie Hernandez, Kurt Gibson. They had two Hall of Famers, Alan Trammell, Jack Morris. They had a should-be Hall of Famer in Lou Whitaker. That's not to mention a host of other really good players. So let's look at this current group. Hall of Fame manager too, by the way. So Hall of Fame manager. You think you got two guys who will win MVP awards in their career? I don't. Yeah. I mean, I think yeah. Maybe Riley Green? You think you got two other guys not counting Riley Green who are going to go to the Hall of Fame? Like, I think Tarek Skubal's really good. I think it's premature to say he's a, he's a Hall of Fame pitcher. Um, mm. And granted, not every... There have been teams that have won the World Series without such distinguished accolades, okay? But uh, the bottom line is the Tiger... What, what year was it? The, was it 76? Yeah. Whatever the draft class. Yeah. Greatest draft class maybe ever, okay? And and so it's just, it's just a little bit... That's a really, really lofty standard to compare to. And that's not even degrading the current state of the Tigers. It's just a reminder of how good of a core the Tigers had in 1984. Times were different, but those guys also popped earlier. Now, maybe they wouldn't pop at the same rate this 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 era because of, you know, how we go about things. But, you know, I safe to say that if there was an Alan Trammell coming up, I think, uh, I think Scott Harris would keep him down in the minors a little longer than people would like. Uh, just, uh, just a general thought. He probably would, yeah. <laughs> uh, all right, well, Let's wrap up on a little bit of a different discussion. Um, one of our off-season pods, an off-season story that you wrote, you wrote about uh, the Tigers and the changing of the fences at Comerica Park, and so there was a little bit of history lesson there with Juan Gonzalez. So I was at, I went to the Rangers-Mariners game on Friday, and Juan Gonzalez made, I, I'm, I might be a year off here, I think he made his first pilgrimage to Arlington since he was a player in like 2005. So it had been a long time. And 2003 was his last year as a Ranger. Yeah, and I think he played like as a road player maybe like in the 04, 05. I, I could be off, but it was... Yeah, probably 2004 with the Royals. He only played one game for the 2005 Cleveland Indians. Yeah, that's right, that's right. So uh, it had been a long time. And this was a guy that people like a little bit older than us associate with the Rangers. Like he was the Rangers uh, of the, of the nineties and brought the, uh, was kind of leading them to un at the time, unprecedented success and went to MVPs, like was a, as sure a bet for the hall of fame as anybody uh, at, at the time throughout the nineties. And he gets traded to the Tigers the last year of his contract as the Rangers go through a, a, a team build and, the Tigers offered him, I believe I have this right, the Tigers offered him eight years, $145 million uh, starting in the 2001 Ooh. season. At that time, that was massive. that's a massive contract. That was pre-A-Rod. Like, that was a massive contract for the time. Juan turned it down. So I have his salaries per Google search. After he turned down eight years, one forty-five, he signed with the Cleveland at the time Indians, ten million dollars. 
They went back to Texas for 02 and 03, 11, mil, 11 million and then 13 million. 4 million in 2004 for Kansas City and then the Cleveland he just he, he made 600k in 2005. And he tried to come back with the Cardinals in 06 and just injuries time passing by. That's $28.6 million that he made. Nothing to slouch at. But a far cry from the eight years, $145 million. And we talked a lot about the 3 team uh, a couple weeks ago, Cody, and how that kind of helped set up the 6 team and all this stuff. What a weird like moment if Juan accepts that contract, how the Tigers are in those years in the early 2000s. I yeah, they're definitely better in 03, a little bit. Yeah, but I'm not sure they. But they're probably not going to the world. Wanted se- that contract. Probably yeah. not going to the World Series in 06. Yeah. So it's just kind of weird. And uh, by the way, Juan looks like he's still in phenomenal shape. I guess he's he's still involved in the game with like uh, Puerto Rico, World Baseball Classic. They're like general national team. He he got a nice ovation from the Rangers fans, which was obviously well deserved. But as a as a Tigers fan, what it's just a weird like he had an impact on the franchise forever. As long as they play in Comerica Park, the impact of Juan Gonzalez is felt, right? You know, which is kind of weird to say. And it was a interesting moment in time that they traded for this two time MVP, and then what his career was afterward. I I just think you know I just think it was it was just a, a weird. It was it was a funny thing to kind of read about and reflect on at the time, you know. And a guy that really should have been a Hall of Famer uh, had had his career not pittered out the way it did. Um, and I don't know. It, do we have firm on this? I, I don't want to speak out of turn, but do we have firm on this? Whether he was kind of linked with steroids do we have that either way yeah, my understanding is he was like implicated in in jose canseco's book juiced which like pretty a, a more credible source than you might think just like hearing the name jose canseco at the same time i don't think he was ever they were teammates linked to steroids in any uh you know way of harder more firm evidence so in order to not get sued, I will end speculation there because I would have to read up a lot more to tell you. Definitely. And he has denied it, and yes, and uh, as has pretty much everyone. Yeah, everyone not named Andy Pettit. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Some of whom would go back and then later admit, "No, nah, I didn't." Yeah, yeah. Uh, I will say I'll, uh, this is a random note because they were teammates, and also he was an integral part of that 06 Tigers team. Obviously, Pudge Rodriguez. Mentioned in the that Jose Canseco book, uh, I have it with a hundred percent authority that in his autobiography he didn't want to mention like the steroid issue at all, and the publishing the people involved in the publishing process said like it has to be addressed. Hmm. Uh, so and, good call on them, and it's it's obviously in the book, but he did not he he didn't think it was needed or necessary or whatever and they're like no oh, yes because somebody accused you of doing it so if you didn't do it then you need to say no uh so yeah. just random tidbit of the podcast uh anything else cody before we uh, get out of here no i'd love to go back and relitigate the steroid era because it's always fun but before we get off on too much of a tangent probably a good time to call it quits. yeah let, let's let's do that when we have uh better lawyers on standby and then we can talk about <laughs> a little bit more 
Uh, I want to thank everybody for listening on Apple and Spotify. Five-star review if you feel so inclined. YouTube, Turning the Corner Podcast. Subscribing to The Athletic so you can read all of Cody's great work as we have a monumental week ahead of us in Detroit Tigers land. So for Cody Stavenhagen, I am Kieran Seckley. Everybody have a great week. Thank you.